Welcome to the Maker's Moment Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ford. And today, I have with my great friend, Brad Amberja. Brad, how you doing? Man, I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. We've been trying to get this thing on the books for a little bit now. We finally made it happen. It's going to happen. We're here. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening right now. As we speak. So, for those of you listening who are tuning in for the first time, the Maker's Moment podcast, uh, the name itself is a reference back to the fact that it is 20 years in the making, overnight success. Uh, There is no single moment, and the moment is actually the lifetime in the making. Uh, The main reason why I wanted to start this podcast was to be able to take time with my friends and individuals that I respect and find out what are the things that 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 make up the 20 years in the making, that are the behind the scenes, that are the daily tips and practices that they have done to achieve the level of success and uh, the ability to do the things that they have done. That is why this podcast started, was to figure out those things, and then I can share them with all of you. So Brad, mm-hmm. what is the Brad and Berger origin story? A little bit about yourself. Oh man, well, I don't know if it's 20 years in the making yet. I'm probably about 13, 13 years into my uh, career so far. Still valid. Still valid. Still valid. I'm more than halfway. Um, but yeah, I've been making things since I was a kid. Um, ever since I started growing up, um, it was crayons, colored pencils on the floor, making things, drawing stuff. And yeah, it just kind of morphed into really enjoying that in high school and taking like an AP art class and finding out that, um, yeah, this was something that I wanted to pursue full time. So I went to school. And uh, graduated with a visual communications degree, and I've been in the field since then. Great. So take me back to when you were first falling in love with making things, whatever it was. I mean, really, you've heard on this podcast so far from Chris Wright, who's in an audio editor. Uh, I often talk about things like ideation and starting businesses. Take me back to one of the first experiences that you had with making something, whether it was coloring or building, whatever. Take me yeah, so um, it's been it's been fun. I've I've always been uh, around people making things. My dad uh, builds things in the garage all the time, and so while he wouldn't consider himself very creative, it's that problem solving mentality mm-hmm. that I think was just kind of built into me. Um, but it came out as an expression when I was young as just drawing. And I remember the first time that I kind of got any kind of real positive feedback was I was over at my grandma's house. We had just finished eating uh, a Happy Meal, hamburger, fries, get a little little Lego toy. They used to give Lego toys. I remember those days. Remember? Now now it's like cheap crap. Anyway. I still have some of those. (laughs) I I know I do. It came with (laughs) something special, like a little hat or a skate, but like some of the ones I had, it was just like a figurine with like a little motorcycle or something that was really... Simple. Yeah. Right. So now, now, now my kids are getting stuff like just plastic garbage. You yeah. know, they play with it for a second. Legos were that man. You just added to the collection. Yeah. It's just, I do want to talk about this for one second. Yeah. Because we all <laughs> Sorry, have this no, in common. No, I love this. We all have this in common where we, we had the toys experience, and nothing aggravates me more than getting paper toys at Chick Fil A. It robs my soul. <laughs> Do you know what happens when we go to Chick-fil-A? Listen, guys, I love Chick-fil-A. But you know what happens when we go to Chick-fil-A and they give us the paper toys? We trade them in for freaking ice creams. Oh, really? Because you can do that. And an ice cream 
This is more important to me than a piece of literature that is going to get thrown in the trash. It's it's kind of true. Sad. I mean, like, I appreciate what they're doing mm-hmm. and, like, let's educate children and do something. But, like, Legos, you know? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of the ice cream trick. Oh, yeah. And ice cream pretty much trumps anything for me. So. Trade them in for the ice cream. Because <laughs> you will never regret getting the ice cream. Because, you know, your kids technically can't eat it, so then you have to eat it. It's, yeah. Know, at least I do. <laughs> he's two and a half, okay? Like, uh, <laughs> Whatever, man. He's probably ten and you're just ripping it out of his hands. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It is what it is. Yep. <laughs> I get it. So, so McDonald's. Yes. Happy Meals. Yeah, Happy Meals. Just finished eating one. Just finished Grandma's eating one. Grandma's house. Now she's like, leave me alone. It, and so... I just grab a piece of paper and I start drawing one of the ketchup packets that's there. And I, I don't know, I zone into it and I start focusing on, oh, look at the shading, look at the, I'm probably six or seven at mm. this point. And I just spend my time and I, and I draw this thing and I kind of just put it off to the side and, um, or maybe I didn't, maybe I showed it to him, but I just remember my mom and my grandma both being like, hey, that's actually really good, mm. like nice job. And. And I liked that feeling, like, oh, that was fun for me to do, and I'm getting positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Sweet, you know. And so, I and that's kind of like where it started. You start making things like that, and you get positive feedback, and it just feeds into it. And it's like, all right, I can keep doing this. See yeah. if I can see if the next thing I can make will impress them more than the last thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. So, on the flip side of that. What's an experience that you had where you made something and it wasn't like, oh, great job. <laughs> and how did that make you feel? Oh, man. Well, that, that happens more like in my professional career <laughs> than back then. Because yeah. I think my mom felt like she had to say good job to everything I did. Um, or she actually thought it was a good job even when it probably wasn't. Um, <laughs> Learn your art, mom. <laughs> Come on, mom. This is terrible. I, I can take constructive criticism. Um, <laughs> I, I mean... It's a process. It's a continual process. Understood. Yeah, but um, but yeah. Once when I got into the career, my career, I was pretty much. I felt like I was batting a thousand. Like I went through college, and I never. I was kind of one of the better designers, I would say, in my class. Not to humble brag. I mean, that's not even humble brag. That's just like a straight up brag. But <laughs> that's not how I meant it to sound. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Um, but anyway, I uh, better designers in the class. It's what, okay to say that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a small class. Yeah. I would say that. So um, anyway, Jessica, she was terrible. <laughs> Was there Jessica? I don't remember. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, so I went through college without any kind of real kickback, like any any kind of negative feedback. And I got into the first um, part of my career, and I had taken a job that I had had interned at earlier. Everything was great. He ran the company like he was, you know, just like the father figure. And he took care of anybody before he would... um, you know, take more money for himself. And he just, he was just running out of work. This was like 2006, maybe. And he was losing some of his, some of his clients. And I was getting approached by other um, design firms in the area. And I said, hey, I think this might be a good move for both of us. So we parted ways and I ended up going to that place. It was a little bit bigger design slash marketing firm. And I worked there for about a year and I was constantly getting feedback like, um, your portfolio work is much better than the work that you're doing for us. Why is that? And I remember just 
kind of being taken back by that and saying, well, I don't know. Like maybe it's maybe it's the projects you're giving me suck. Like I, you know, like I, yeah. I didn't really know how to take it, and and I just kept like trying to do my best, but it never seemed to be good enough. And after at my year review, they were like, hey, I don't think that um, this is gonna work out here. And actually, you probably shouldn't even be a designer anymore. Maybe go back to school for something else. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was kind of a negative feedback yeah, that's moment. A side, yeah. But, so, I mean, moving into like, how did that moment, kind of pivotal moment, where you you could have made a decision and said, you know what, they're right. I'm not doing it this anymore. And I, the reason why I think that's important, and I want to highlight, it is because I feel like a lot of people have made those decisions, and it breaks my heart. There's a lot of people who are listening to this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. who are not doing something that they once thought they were good at and probably were good at, mm-hmm. at least to the point where they could have improved upon you know, practice, that are no longer doing those things. What did you do to get out of that? What did you do to come back from that moment? Oh, man. Well, if I, I wish that I could say I just shrugged it off and kept going. But, like, it seriously, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, it rocked my world for probably years after. Just that constant questioning, am I good at this? Because I respected those people. Like, I respected their opinions, yeah. all that stuff. So when somebody tells you, you're kind of crappy at this, <laughs> when you've been told your whole life you're not crappy at it, it throws you for a loop. And that negative stuff always trumps the positive stuff that you, that you hear. It's a critic for sure. And uh, so, yeah, for me, it was, it was just kind of struggling through the next few years. Um, I, I went from that job and I started doing some freelance work for a little bit. I was actually painting, painting a house. We lived in this neighborhood back. I'm from Chicago originally and we lived in this neighborhood just north of Chicago with some really big old houses and I was, I took a job just painting a house so I could f- put food on the table for my wife and I at the time. My kids hadn't been born yet, thank God, because um, that would have probably even rocked me even more. But um, so I'm painting this house, I'm scraping the side of this house, trying to get the paint off and going like, do should should I just be a painter? Should I just paint houses? Is this all I'm good for? Like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I went to school and paid good money to be this designer. Be more than that, to know, to, yeah. to learn how to, you know, do a skill set, to have, have mm-hmm. a skill set. And, and I had it, and I felt like, well, it's kind of just, I don't know, maybe it's worthless. And so um, I started doing some freelance stuff, and that was going pretty well, and I ended up getting another full-time gig, another small design marketing firm. And I worked there for about a year, and I got laid off at my year review oh, there, too. Thankfully, they weren't saying that I was a terrible designer. At least they didn't say it to my face. They were going more web, and at that point, I was strictly uh, a digital creator, or a, a print mm-hmm. uh, creator. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything digital, and they said they needed somebody that could help them do web things. So, um, again, I was without work, young, married guy with a, with a wife, and... and trying to figure out how to put food on the table. And I ended up freelancing a little bit more and um, started working as, as a freelance, uh, started working freelance for Blistex. And they were an in-house design firm, real small, but I helped them redo all of their packaging around maybe 2008 or so, 2009. And I realized that I really liked the speed of 
in-house agencies. So up until that point, it was just, you know, it was just creative agencies. There was nothing in-house. So once I realized I don't have to bill for my time here, I can actually dig in and think about one specific brand a little deeper than pushing out new stuff for a bunch of different brands all the time, um, being super time conscious. Mm. I realized that speed was better. So um, when I started looking for another full-time gig, I, I looked for uh, a in-house vibe for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, taking a job shortly after that that I was at for seven years. So, yeah. yeah. A lot of learnings there, too, in, lot that, in that space. of. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did that freelance thing for a little bit. You were able to kind of make it out of that um, make it out of that time, and then what kind of landed into a longer term? Do you feel like any of those feelings carried over from just the, I don't want to say stuck side of things, but I guess the stuck side of things, I mean, you were there for seven years. Walk me through how that was. and Because uh, I know we've got people listening to this too now who are either A, in a job that they're, they're stuck in, mm-hmm. uh, a creative job specifically that's putting food on the table. They don't want to be unemployed or be fighting for work. Um, but at the same time, they want that that happiness and kind of they want that fulfillment and appreciation in their work. Mm-hmm. Walk me through like what the next seven years kind of look like and what led you to where you are now. Yeah, so the next seven years for me was kind of just getting my confidence back. It started, um, I started there and I started doing some work and it started getting appreciated and passed around the company and uh, it was a smaller company. There were about 60 people in the headquarters and it was just a, it was a company that made water bottles, lunch boxes, things like that. Nothing crazy, but it was enough. Uh, it was a good environment for me to be in for for that chunk of time because um, I needed to get my confidence back. I needed to um, just make relationships in here that like, yeah, you're doing all right. You know what I mean? Um, but then as I continued to work there, it just became really evident that there wasn't any space for me to to move up. They they made a senior designer position out of thin air that they just called me so that I would stick around for a little bit longer. But my my role didn't change. Mm. I didn't feel like I was growing at all, and uh, it was kind of like a stifling mm-hmm. environment, uh, creatively wise. So um, I just remember being really frustrated towards the end of twenty sixteen because I was just making stuff, but it didn't really didn't really have any meaning other than, oh, I hope somebody buys this water bottle. I'm and just enjoys like, it as yeah, a thing. I'm just yeah. convincing people to buy this stuff that they probably don't really even need. You know, mm. I was making lunchboxes and I wanted kids to go, oh, I want that lunchbox, mom. To the point where, you know, like now I have a six-year-old and when they're walking down the toy aisle and they're like, I want it, I want it, I want it. Like that, that irks me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that consumerism just... My personality, like I, I hate that. So yeah. I was, I was creating that tension for, you know, other families, their kids that desire for wanting things to make them happy, and I was like, man, this, this isn't good. I don't want to do that. And so, um, I started looking around, and and, uh, and I was looking for some work that actually mattered. I needed to do something that made a difference you know, that made the world a better place. And I had gone through with my wife back in 2012, 
um, Financial Peace University, which is a, a course to handle your money well uh, mm-hmm. by Dave Ramsey. That's so. That's how we know each other. I ended up fast forward a little yeah. bit. We I got a job with Dave Ramsey, and I moved my my family from Chicago. Um, my two kids now have a son who is six and a daughter who's four. We moved down, left all family behind because the the desire to make some work that matters was enough to make me uproot everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've been here for a little over a year now, and it's... And here is Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. just as a recap. I mean, yep. you, some of you know that, but uh, yeah, we're in Nashville. Keep going. I mean, yeah, no, it. totally. Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'll tell you what, we went up and we visited some family back uh, in Easter, so early early April. And when we left there, it was 16 degrees in Chicago. Nope. And I was like, no, this is, this is stupid. Why was I here for 33 years? No. So uh, we came back to... Came back to Nashville. Sun was shining. It was probably like sixty or seventy, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this, this is, is right. This is right." And for everybody listening, <laughs> if I got anybody in Chicago, the thing is, is that you can always visit Chicago. Yes, right? I yes. Mean, <laughs> Chicago in the summertime is fantastic. I love it. You yeah. Go to Wrigley Field. Go to Cubs games. Go hang out and you know downtown in the Loop. Man, it's fantastic. But the winter is like six months long. Yeah. And it'll just, it'll depress you, and yeah, it's just no good. Here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. So you know when you meet someone new, and literally, it could be something that you already know, and you go up to them, and you know, you say, hey, how are you doing? Man, it's a beautiful day outside. Like, it's a part of our human nature <laughs> to enjoy things as simple as the sun shining. Mm-hmm. And so I say that to say that if you're in Chicago, you should consider being a snowbird, and really anywhere cold for that matter. Minneapolis, talking to you. <laughs> Alaska, definitely talking to you. We see you up there. We see you up there. <laughs> you may think we don't, but I don't know if you guys know this, but there's also a little island that's uh, there's a there's a, there's a piece of the United States that is somewhat disconnected from the United States called Hawaii. <laughs> Should you move to Hawaii, at least some of the year? Yeah, I, hey, I love Hawaii. If I could if I could work remote from Hawaii, from Maui, ooh, oh, sign me up. That'd yeah. be fun. And so uh, so all of that goes to say, uh, with me and the weather and the jargon there, how did you enjoy your first summer in Nashville? It was, or winter, winter summer. Yeah, it was really, like, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I heard, oh my gosh, the humidity is insane. Well, the humidity in Chicago is terrible, too, in the summer. I mean, we're right next to the lake. But um, it's it was a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah, it was warm, but... It wasn't anything that I couldn't handle, and the winter was fantastic. Maybe a little couple yeah. little dustings and stuff, but when I'm used to driving through six, eight inches of snow without issue, it's funny yeah. to come down here and you get, I don't know, a dusting at most. <laughs> Everybody's buying all the bread and the milk and trying to just make it through. Nope. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. I think it's funny to talk about the <laughs> talk about the weather side of things, because I feel like that has been that was also a huge... Uh, component for us moving out from we we lived in Phoenix before we moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. and Phoenix has amazing winter six months of the year. I mean, it's like it's heaven six months of the year, you know. Yeah. And then I mean, you're talking like 73, 74 blue skies all winter. Perfect. Per like perfect. We love visit like love visiting. Period. The summers though, like you're in AC all the time. Like you literally can't go outside. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't care what people say about it. It's a dry heat, or it's it's like a you'll die heat. Like, <laughs> like literally, like you are gonna die if you spend any time out here. And in the time we were there, we worked a lot on the reservation, and there's no air conditioning on the reservation. And when you have a 
15 passenger van full of children Mm-mm. and no air conditioning. Everyone wants you're dying. Mm-mm. It's just you're dying. People die literally. Yeah, heat stroke. So that definitely uh, helped us look for uh, something that was meaningful and in nicer weather. So yeah, yeah. So Ramsey Solutions. Yep. You work here. I work here. Uh, this podcast is obviously done on my own, but I am who I am, and I love Ramsey Solutions, and I work with Dave and do all sorts of things. Tell me about what it's like to work somewhere that is meaningful, where you can touch and you can high-five the people who are directly benefiting from you. I love the fact, because this, this place changed my life before I started working here. So... <clears throat> It was, it was back in 2012. We were trying to figure out how to handle our money. We had no idea. We had just had my son. We moved from having two sources of income down to one. And we are going, I don't know how to make all of these things work. And they gave me the principles. Ramsey Solutions gave me the principles I needed to change my life and make the money start making sense. And yeah. so um, now... It's really easy for me to feel passionate to go to work and go, I can I can contribute to that change. I can help somebody else yeah. who feels just like I did back in 2012, going, how am I going to get this done? I don't know what to do. And and just provide that hope. It's like sunlight, you know? And yeah. and it's just it's a dark, it's a dark world and money sucks, you know? It's hard. Yeah. Trying to struggle through and and make Finances, finances stretch and stuff like that. So, um, any kind of hope that we can give to people is is just gravy. And yeah. working with people that care about the same things you care about yeah. makes it real easy to get out of bed in the morning. One hundred percent. I completely agree with you. I think that one of the uh, one of the best things about working at a place like Ramsey Solutions is that there's opportunity abounding. If there's something and you see a problem somewhere. You can jump at it. It's mm-hmm. not, hey, stay in your lane, you know, no boy. Like, <laughs> no ha-ha. T- no touchy. No, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, you know, we work with, you know, if, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, I mean, he's the same guy in the office as he is on the radio, you know. He'll he'll shoot it straight and tell you like it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's so needed. Yes. <laughs> you know, and but also, I mean, if there's an opportunity, like, it's supportive of that 100%. And I think the biggest thing that has stood out to me working – at Ramsey Solutions and somewhere like Ramsey Solutions is that it is like, I didn't want to be someone working a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be working a job. I, As a human being, I want the things that I do from 8 a.m. to going to sleep at night to matter. To, yeah. to, and that's, that's human being status. That's not Ramsey Solutions or outside of Ramsey Solutions, whatever. Because, I mean, there are, there are folks listening. You might never work at Ramsey Solutions, but I 100% believe that it is within your grasp, within your reach, to find something that you are passionate about. Totally. And figure it out. Yeah. And be part of it. And, and Ramsey Solutions is, is, is that for so many folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, we have 700 people that work here now. But I was talking with a guy this week. Uh, on Instagram, we were going back and forth, and he had put a comment up on a, on a post to a person that I follow, and he was talking about how um, I just need to get rid of distractions in my life so that I can focus on stuff that's going to make me money. 
And I had to write him back as of a comment. I'm like, man, like you're missing the point. Like, mm -hmm. what are these distractions? And he's like, oh man, I just love gaming and I love the whole entire gaming community. And that's just what I love to do. He's like, but I know it's not going to make money because, you know, everybody in my family is telling me that I need to go on and I need to do this, you know, this, try to start my own business and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're missing the point. Like there's a hundred percent opportunity to find meaning in the gaming community and find a job where people, and not even just find a job, there's just, you can do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, honestly, like we don't have any gaming positions open at Ramsey Solutions yet, <laughs> but I mean, we're young, you know? Yeah, who like, knows? We did just launch some cool apps that could be considered as game games. <laughs> Teen Entrepreneur Toolbox, go look at it. Anyways, <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit of a dovetail, but the point is, is that um, meaningful work abounds totally and and if you can't find it make it yeah just find somebody that needs help and help them yep. that's it it's not that difficult you can say hey listen i i see what you're doing you're helping these people maybe it's with a local church maybe it's some people that's just a non-profit that you think is really great that just needs some help design wise reach out to them and just yeah. say hey listen i can help you let's bring this thing to the next level it's going to help everybody. You're going to feel better yeah. about yourself as a designer because you're contributing That's to right. something that matters. And the people are going to be super thankful for it. 100%. And I found there's much more long-term fulfillment that comes when you have that attitude of, how can I help? Yes. There's much more understanding. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just makes your life so much easier knowing that, hey... I can make an opportunity happen. Mm -hmm. My heart is caring. My heart is not how do I get another position or how do I level up or how do I... That's the vernacular change I'm hearing from you between where you were at the company where you were making products and those kind of things to where you are now. The vernacular changes from like there wasn't a place that I can level up yep. to now where can I be a part of something bigger? Where can I make a difference? Yeah, where can was, I make a difference? It was a... There was... That definitely happened. There was like a mental shift for me and I was like, wait... It's not about just the next title. It's not about the next raise. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, can I make a difference today? If, am I doing the best I can with the, the projects that are given to me? And once you start, like, once that mindset shifts, you're going to be in a great spot. Like, people will notice. And it's not about, it's not about leveling up anymore. It's about helping people. And that's what, that's what I think leadership looks for, not just here, but anywhere, anywhere that they're doing their job. If, if the person wants to help the cause, if the person feels passionate about it, leadership will notice. Guys, you heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. All right, so what I'd like to do here is just take a couple questions and rapid-fire those to Brad just to give you guys a little bit more context on how he operates as a person, what happens in his day-to-day -day life, and uh, here we go. Let's yeah. do it. Favorite food? Euros. Oh, man. My voice cracked. When you did. I'm so I, excited. I have to keep it because <laughs> it's I'm great. Say it one more time. Euros? Um, yeah, they're fantastic. I love them. Euros. Now, you know I have a story about the Euros. We've talked about this before. Bring it. All right, here's the story. All right, so when you go to a Euro shop or a Greek location that is probably not Greek, doesn't matter, you go there <laughs> and you say, I would like uh, a Euro sandwich or a Euro or, or gyro, whatever you want to call it, they will often reply and say, 
you know, in Greek or in uh, Arabic to the person next to them that, that, that you want euros meet, like you want euros. And so essentially that confused me one day. So I started doing some uh, little uh, querying on the Googles. Wait, and how did it confuse you? It confused me because he referred to the euro as a meat. Okay. And not as lamb or pork or, you know what I mean? Like sure. it wasn't like, yes, okay. you want steak. It was like he, he wants the euros like plural meats. He wants the meats of euros. <laughs> I want, and I'm like, I want all the meats of euros. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like that's it's like, it's beef or lamb. Like what you know what I mean? Like what yeah. there's no options there. It's like okay. Euros isn't its own thing. Little did I know that the reason why they call it Euros is because Euro comes from the word in in, in Greece, which essentially would mean to turn or gyrate. That's where we get the word gyrate. And then if you're in project management, that's where they get the word jira, is because jira comes from the Italian word turn. There's your lesson about where euros comes from. Also, Cause they're the delicious. Because the meat is turning. The meat is the turning. Skin. And sure. so they're just saying like euros meat because it's like turning meat. Like mm-hmm. it's like a rotisserie. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially all we're talking about. Freaking love euros. All right. <laughs> next rapid fire question here is what is your third favorite movie? Third favorite. What did I say before? I don't remember. <laughs> we talked a little bit before this. Man. Uh, third favorite, third favorite, Shawshank Redemption. Booyah. Shawshank Redemption. Favorite place to visit ever, ever. You can go there right now, eat lunch, do whatever. Where are you going? Wrigley Field. I love mm. it. Wrigley Field, man. It's, yeah. Can I've never I, been. Can I tell a story? Tell a story. Yeah. All right. So I grew up third generation Cubs fan. And, um, yeah, my dad always had it on the radio. But we had never gone. I never went to a baseball game growing up. And I was probably 18, 19 years old. And I finally got like an invite. Hey, come on, let's go. And so I was like, all right, sounds good. I know all the players. I'm like a huge fan. So I go and we get our tickets. We walk through. And everybody knows Wrigley Field. 1914. Crazy history there. It's fantastic. It's where Babe Ruth called his shot. I mean, there's so much that's happened mm-hmm. there. Um, but... Yeah, I walked up, and I saw the field for the first time, and it was just all green, and I saw the players out there just warming up, and I was like, yes, this is this is home. This is where I want to be all the time. And I can't tell you how many Cubs games I've gone to since. Like, it's, <sighs> yeah, it's so good. I love that, man. It's so good. Whew. <laughs> love it. All right, where are you most creative? Hmm. When or where? Where. Where. Um... When I'm not trying to be creative, it's when I'm doing it's when I'm doing the mindless things that when I'm not thinking about what's the answer or solution to this problem. So, I could be just taking a leak in the yep. bathroom, you know, and looking at a looking at a square of a tile in in the in the bathroom and go, oh, there's an idea, and mm. it'll just pop in when I'm not paying attention. And um, I think so many times we just try to focus and find that answer. Um, and we're just beating our heads against the wall while we're staring mm-hmm. at that blank page. And it's it's sometimes you just got to get out of that mindset and go yeah. somewhere. I, I completely, I've talked a little bit about that on the podcast, another episode. It's like it's those in-between moments for me where I can feel the most creative. Like, mm-hmm. like it literally is. Like, that's why singing in the shower, great. Like, I mean, there's, there's lists of songs that were written in those kind of like in-between projects. Yeah. And they came because of those it's like it's the rest from mm-hmm. being. I, I love that because I think that um, there's a lot of th- practical things you can do to try to not be in a place where you're stressing out. Take a shower. 
Yeah. Go on a walk. Go for a bike ride. Or a drive. Yeah. Or drive. Anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere. I mean, like, anything that's not going to require you to do the thing that you're trying to do. <laughs> yep. Just let your brain figure it out for It's counterintuitive, but it really works. Man, I love that. And, and honestly, like, most work environment, you can do that at most work. It's on you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to take those, like, mental, like, moments during lunch or whatever to, mm-hmm. to figure that out. But it's, it's possible and doable. Yep. What time do you go to sleep? Uh, I'm not super. I used to stay up super late. Um, now it's probably 10 30, 11 o'clock, something like that. How many hours of sleep do you get per night? Would you um, I go, I don't know, probably about six or seven. That's good. I get, so. I get a good amount. I know I'm probably on the, you know, that's, that's more than average <laughs> for designers, but, um, I haven't been doing much freelance stuff. When I do freelance stuff, then it's, there's no balance. You know, <laughs> there's no balance at all anymore. <laughs> And I'm up until like we one feel or two. you, freelancers. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there, um, but yeah, yeah, I get a good good amount of sleep at night. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the rapid fire round with Brad. Just some quick answers and insights. There you go. So two things that I want to kind of pull away from that are number one, go to Wrigley Field. Yes, I haven't been. I I love. I've I'm like the least. Ba- I'm like the biggest non-baseball fan there is if that makes any sense yeah like if I could get really into a sport and be like you know all about it it would be baseball it was it's I take that all the way back to being uh, when my grandfather my great grandfather handed me a wooden box full of old baseball cards and said these are yours now like that's awesome I'm like ah like, I just, <laughs> so like for me like baseball's never been like part of my daily life, my you know, uh, my my grandmother uh, always she still uh, she has uh, dementia right now, which is super sad and doesn't do this as much anymore. But on Thursday nights when the Atlanta Braves play, she would have all the cousins over for um, hot dogs. So heck yeah, it gets man. me. But freaking baseball, I love it, man. That's but uh, anyways, history. We used to do baseball and uh, Atlanta Braves. So anyways, mm-hmm. love you, Grams. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right then. So um, we just got kicked out of the last room right before we finished up the podcast. But I want to take you back to what we were just talking about. That was specifically Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Go there. Go there. And last but not least, drink a lot of fluids. Because you never know what's going to come up when you're in the bathroom looking at the tiles. <laughs> That's totally true. Lots I'm of just fl- saying. Lots of fluids. Drink lots of fluids. Have <laughs> lots of ideas. Fix lots of problems. That's right. Um Anyways, yeah, uh, this podcast, once again, is just to be a place for designers, writers, people who are making things, bricklayers, whatever the story, whatever the story is. Uh, in this podcast with Brad, the, the real takeaways I do want you to run away with are is find somewhere that you really love to work. Find something that you love to do and do it. You have to. You have to. It's no, it's no fun to wake up dreading your job, to wake up just beating your head against the wall. That's, I mean, the opportunity's out there, and if it's not, make it. Guys, that's the Maker's Moment Podcast. Brad, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This has been fun. 100%. I'll see you guys next time on the Maker's Moment Podcast. 25 years in the making. Overnight success, that's what they said If only you could see all of these hard-earned dreams If only you